hello, and welcome to Things That Make You Go Woo. I'm your host, Emily Barnard, also known as Emily and Her Stars. I'm a medium, an astrologist, an Akashic Records reader, an artist, and an all-around just silly and curious gal. In this podcast, I'll be sharing the things and people I find fascinating, funny, and inspirational. Things that I hope will certainly make you go woo, too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I wanted to surprise you with sort of a fun bonus Halloween episode titled Witch Witch. With Halloween around the corner, there are really more witch costume options than ever before. Of course, we have the classic pointy hat, pointy shoes, and warts all dressed in black. But we also have some super fun modern versions like Maleficent from Disney with her black horns and her black latex dresses. Or we've got, I don't know, Cher and Susan Sarandon and Michelle Pfeiffer with their rockin' big 80s hair from The Witches of Eastwick. Um, You can't forget the fabulous ladies from Hocus Pocus with their corsets and more traditional Victorian garb. And we can't forget my personal favorite, the flowing sundresses and margaritas that Sandra Bullock and Nicole Kidman sport in Practical Magic. The point is, there are lots of versions of witches today. And after publishing my first episode called What's Beer Got to Do With It, where I explored the origins of the broom and cauldrons and pointy hats, I received so many questions back about long noses and black dresses and even green faces. So today, I'm going to do my best to share what I have found and bring some more clarity to which witch started it. Now, it's almost impossible to pinpoint who or when the first witch really was, at least when she was first formally documented. We know that witches and witchcraft predate the Bible, and some of the earliest examples we can find are of Egyptian witchcraft, and it's as good a place to start as any. Here we'll find Isis, and she's first mentioned in the Old Kingdom somewhere between 2686 and 2181 BC. Now, she was the goddess of magic and wisdom, and she used her powers to protect children and heal the sick. In art, she's often depicted as a slender, beautiful woman wearing an even more beautiful and shapely sheath dress. Her headdresses sometimes have her name emblazoned on them, and this is where she gets even more fun. She's got one headdress where she can be seen wearing a crown that's got cow horns coming up the sides, very Maleficent-like, and a sun disc across her head. She also has another crown for optional days that's seen as a cobra kind of looming above her head. At times, she's also seen with wings. So if you want to rock a lot of accessories in your costume, this is for sure the way to go. However, you might not be recognized as a witch, so to speak. So to find another example of early witches, we have to, of course, look to the Bible. The first recorded appearance in the book is in the book of Samuel, written between 931 BC and 721 BC. And the witch, of course, that we're speaking of is the witch of Endor, or the Endorian sorceress. In the Hebrew Bible, Saul is seeking advice from God 
about how to defeat the Philistine army. The problem is God isn't taking his calls. No answers from the big guy. Now, Saul has driven out all of the mediums and magicians from Israel, and he's trying to find someone who can get in touch with a higher power and let him know what's going on. So he finally travels to the city of Endor, where he finds a woman who's agreeable and able to summon Samuel to get some help. She predicts Saul's downfall in the battle that will be taking place the next day. And despite him being fairly distraught about all of the news, bless her heart, she makes sure he eats a nice meal before she sends him on his way. Now, we don't have any early drawings of her, so to speak, but we do have paintings throughout history. And her wardrobe, honestly, doesn't vary that much. Usually she's depicted in long flowing robes, sometimes with a hood to cover her head, sometimes with her titties out, (laughs) but she's always shown to be a real person. No green skin, no brooms or cauldrons. She's almost Stevie Nicks-ish. Ugh, Stevie. Now she is a witch worth dressing as, am I right? (laughs) I will say there is one terrible representation by a Mr. Elsheimer in the 14th century, And honestly, his depiction makes her look more like Lord Sidious from the original Star Wars movies. You know, the guy in charge of Darth Vader. It's not a good depiction. I'll put it on Instagram. (laughs) Okay, moving on. Another of history's iconic witches is Alice Kettler. Now, Alice is the first recorded person condemned for witchcraft in Ireland. She was accused in 1324 of having sex with a demon, among other things, including heresy, you know, possibly murdering her past husbands, creating love potions, and basically just hanging out with the wrong crowd. Now, while it's not clear that any of the evidence that authorities really had against her was valid, We do know, at least through paintings, a little bit more about what she looked like. She's almost always shown with thick, beautiful red hair parted right down the middle, very modern boho, (laughs) and a beautiful single braid down her back. Other than that, she looks, and I almost hate to say this, but plain, kind of like the quiet girl at the back of the classroom. By some accounts, she was attractive and sophisticated. Obviously, she was accused of manipulating men, including her four husbands, three of which died from strange illnesses that supposedly, allegedly originated from her. But still, what I'm getting at is there's no green skin, not an exaggerated nose, no warts, and I really believe that if any of those things had been the case, it would have been brought up in trial. They were looking for any and all reasons to be rid of her. When witch hysteria took over Europe in the 1500s, certain stereotypes really started to dig in their heels. And witches were sort of transformed from the everyday woman. And If you at this point in time were old, possibly hunchbacked, 
may be poor. Heaven forbid you had a missing tooth. You might have been malnourished. And if you didn't own a pair of tweezers and had, let's just say, some misplaced facial hair, (laughs) it was almost always assumed that you possessed the evil eye. Throw in a cat and you might as well be ironclad proof that you're a witch. All of this, of course, ties back in to the beer making and post-plague ideology when women were left widowed and penniless. And no doubt, a homeless version of the witch really began to emerge. It's also around this time when the broomstick got its bad name. Of course, we smart witches know you sweep away the grain to keep the mice and the rats away, thus avoiding the plague. But you know, rumors are way more fun. And the idea was that witchy women applied psychoactive ointments on their crotches and then mounted the phallic mode of transportation. I mean, that rumor is simply too tantalizing not to perpetuate, am I right? (laughs) But these visuals are really steeped in sexist bias that still haunts the depiction today of a witch as being a sexually deviant hag. Women's looks were key when witchcraft became a capital offense in Britain in 1563. Between then and 1750, around 200,000 witches were tortured, hung, or burnt at the stake in Western Europe, largely because of the way they looked. There was even a book focusing on how to identify and exterminate witches. The book, Malleus Maleficarium, I'm sure I slaughtered that, (laughs) also known as the Hammer of Witches, directs witch hunters to physically examine the female body for marks. And I just want to make a side note here. There is a copy of this actual book at the Pembroke Essex Museum in Salem, Massachusetts, and it is on my bucket list to see this book. Anyway, in the book, it directs you to look for physical marks hair was to be shaved off to make it easier to spot devil marks. Hello, I'm rocking some hairy legs and pits for Halloween now. You're telling me that they shaved these poor women? Are you kidding me? Examinations almost always uncovered a wart or a mole that would justify a witch's killing. The mole or wart was said to be the witch's teat from which she fed things like cats and frogs and newts and other demon creatures. Hence, the stereotype of the witchy wart. Shakespeare's Macbeth only helped to fuel the ugly stereotype. His three witches, dreamed up around 1606, prophesied Macbeth's future. And in the book, as they appear withered and so wild in their attire. He also notes their facial hair. You should be women and yet your beards forget, forbid me to interpret that you are so. By all accounts, these three witches are hideous. They don't look like the inhabitants of earth. This description no doubt informed the image of a witch you had as a child cauldron-stirring, toad-loving, cackling, social pariahs out to do no good. 
And if all this terrible press isn't bad enough, the idea of hideousness and witches being synonymous with each other was truly cemented during the notorious witch trials in Salem, Massachusetts in 1692. There, more than 200 people were accused of witchcraft and 14 women executed by hanging. Judging by artists' depictions, these women were plain-looking pilgrims with, dare I say, pasty faces, and they wore long dresses, very Puritan. Again, their bodies were examined because of the belief that the devil would make a pact with the witch by leaving a mark on their skin. You can see a depiction of this in the famous painting, Examination of a Witch, by Tompkins H. Matson. I will also post this on Instagram so that you can see it. It shows a young semi-nude girl totally being oogled and ogled. It's ridiculous. I just can't even with these pilgrims. I mean, honestly, I like to think they ate mold, ate moldy grain because the idea that this hysteria took over. Ugh. Anyway, I covered that with Jamie in my previous episode. You'll have to listen. One Salem witch was depicted in Thomas Satterwhite's noble painting, The Salem Martyr, painted in 1869. Here she has thick eyebrows, pale milky skin, dark eyes, and that flat dark hair. She's a far cry from the seductive movie incarnation of this character found in 1937's Maid of Salem. The actress, and I'm sure you won't know who this is, but Claudette Colbert, she starred. This is the 30s, right? This is LA at its best. And she was glorious with her pencil thin eyebrows and perfectly curled hair under her white bonnet, her innocent eyes, right? Just brimming with liner and mascara. The full Hollywood makeover, not a hair out of place. How could this American beauty, a symbol of purity, possibly be guilty? I mean, that's what we're all asking. (laughs) So on we go into the 20th century, where we really have two images of witches that dominate pop culture. There's either the very sultry and seductive sort of queen of the goths, Morticia Adams, or the green-faced, wart-ridden, wicked witch, from the Wizard of Oz. Now, Morticia has far more in common with the goddess Isis and her beautiful, curve-hugging sheath dress. She has pale Puritan skin and long, dark hair, and occasionally she even sports a pointy hat. Class and elegance seemingly drip from her. She's seductive and anything but crone-like. However, the Wicked Witch of the West actually in the books, started out as a pot-bellied old hag with three pigtails and an eye patch. (laughs) It was even said that the one eye she had was so amazing, it was like a telescope. She even carried an umbrella, not a broom. Now, in the book, she was afraid of both water and the dark, which was a decision made by the author L. Frank Baum. And I was unable really to find his reasoning behind why he decided to make his witches afraid of the dark and water. So if anyone out there knows, please let me know because I'd be fascinated to know more about that. But in The Wizard of Oz, we get the idea of that green face coloring. And 
We know that it was used because the Wizard of Oz was to be shown in technicolor, right? And you can't show the most fearsome, wicked witch with average boring skin, right? Green is what it had to be, along with warts and the crooked nose, all left over from Macbeth's crones. Now, these two traits haven't stuck, but the pointy hat became a mainstay on the costume circuit. Its roots and significance are kind of disputed. Some claim, like I do, that its roots lie in the alewife hats, you know, the type of hat worn by women who homebrewed beer for sale so they could be seen in the crowd, they wore the tall hat. I covered all that in episode one, but I wanted to point out that others say it arose from anti-Semitism in the 13th century, where Jews were forced to wear identifying pointed caps, which would be associated with Satan worship and black magic, acts which Jews were accused of. Some say that the hat came from an anti-Quaker prejudice, and it's honestly the look that stuck. All of this said, pulp culture did slowly grow to accommodate every kind of witch you can think of. There was the smiling 1960s housewife in The Beloved Bewitched with her hair curlers and her cute little button nose and doll-like face. (laughs) There was Angelica Houston's grotesque grand high witch with vulture-like wrinkles and a crooked nose in The Witches. There's modern movie adaptations where they're depicted as young goth schoolgirls and even hippies on drugs, right? Cranking up the sex factor and often framing them as an alternative love interest. There was Sabrina, the innocent teenage witch with blonde hair and blue eyes and a rosy complexion. And especially, I'm dating myself, but those fabulous grungy 90s schoolgirls in the craft. So... What about 21st century witches? Where are we now? There's no necessarily one uniform. I've seen witches that wear fabulous shirts that say 100% that witch. I've seen black lipstick, even athleisure and baggy jeans. (laughs) The days of an all-encompassing witch stamp are gone. And I really like to point out here Francis F. Denny's portraits of modern witches in America as proof. In her book, Major Arcana, Francis brings a fresh lens to modern day witches, tall, small, young and old, like any clan, they're a diverse and eclectic community. She believes that every photograph of a woman or female presenting individual has the potential to chip away at the wall of sexism that's been constructed over the centuries. With the image of the witch as one of the earliest examples of widespread propaganda against women, it is time to reframe it. Though beliefs and stories about witches have existed in virtually every culture throughout history, the hypersexed, homicidal, Satan-worshipping witch that we know now came about in the 15th century in Europe. And this year, no matter which witch you choose to dress as, remember to leave all the best and most magical parts of you visible. I'm thinking I'm going to rock hairy legs, more freckles. I think I need a margarita. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Things That Make You Go Woo. 
You can help me out by leaving a positive rating and a review wherever you downloaded this episode. Be sure and follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Emily and Her Stars. You can also reach out via email anytime, emilyandherstars at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time on Things That Make You Go Woo.